welcome to Karma Light Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. Thank you for joining us. We're in the midst of a series called Exploring Contemplation with St. John of the Cross, and we're using Father Donald Haggerty's book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, as the springboard of our conversations. Last time in the fourth part of the series, we talked about the seven capital vices on a spiritual level, and we also explored some of the struggles that souls encounter during the transition to the deeper prayer of the gift of infused contemplation. If you missed that program, you may find it at www.karmalikeconversations.com. Today, in part five of the series, we're going to largely focus on the signs that St. John of the Cross teaches us in order to know when we are being called by God to leave discursive meditation and enter into the grace of contemplation, so receptive mode. We will also discuss what shoals should do at that time. To help me, I'm most grateful to welcome back my dear friend and fellow Discount Secular Carmelite, Deacon Mark Danis. Hello, Mark. How are you today? Good, Francis. Great to be with you again. I'm so glad you're here to have this conversation. So many people will find this very helpful because it it's a time of transition in prayer, and a lot of people don't get information on this. So I'm glad we're going to talk about it. Um, before we begin, though, our conversation, um, as always, I would like to begin in an, with an opening prayer. Would you please lead us? Certainly. Let's bow our heads and dispose ourselves. Silence our interior. Put ourselves before the Lord as a bright light surrounding us. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to open our hearts and minds to dispose ourselves to what you have to share with us each individually about the necessary steps for preparing ourselves to enter into contemplation. This is the point in our life and the spiritual journey where there is a de deliberate transition and we want to be informed and aware so that we might anticipate and better prepare ourselves to enter into this next most important phase. We ask, Lord, that you would send our guardian angels to whisper in our ear resolution to any confusion that may arise. We ask the intercession of St. John of the Cross and of the Blessed Mother. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, in the name of the Father, Spirit. Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we're in Chapter 9 of Father Haggerty's book, and it's entitled The Incipient Signs of the Grace of Contemplation. Well, where do you want to start? Well, that's the beginning, isn't it? Incipient means the beginning, and yeah. that's where we are. This is the beginning of contemplation. And as I uh, shared in my prayer, uh, all the spiritual masters make very clear that it is at this stage that a transition begins to occur. And for many souls who have spent perhaps uh, years in active prayer, which I will state up front is a prerequisite for this stage of the prayer journey, we'll reemphasize that again in a moment. But this is where that transition occurs. What's the transition? We become very reliant on the use of our senses, of our imagination, of our minds um, to affect uh, a uh, disposition 
to acquiring knowledge, understanding, wisdom, uh, both about ourselves, about God, and about how he operates in our life. But now God wants to take a more um, deliberate and intentional role in our journey. And that is going to require that we step back a little bit and become more receptive. But the preparation for that next phase is what uh, Father Haggerty uh, talks about and prepares us for in this particular chapter. And he does so by relying on two separate works of John's. Many people will look simply to the ascent of Mount Carmel for this information. Uh, but Father Haggerty, and I think in great wisdom, acknowledges that there are also elements of this preparation, five individual elements that are identified in the early stages of the uh, dark night. And so, for instance, I'm going to let you explain, as we discussed before we came on, uh, the combination of those two works and where he is drawing this from, either active or passive. Those are the uh, components of John's um, theology of prayer. Uh, and it's good that we understand those. So do you want to share that with our listeners? Sure. So in Carmel, when we're talking about these signs, we we talk about them as two sets because one, like you said, was in the ascent of Mount Carmel. And that set indicates when we are in the active night of spirit. Okay. So in the in the dark night, there's an active and passive phase of sense and an active passive phase of spirit. And we go through the active stuff first. And then we become more receptive and go through the passive stuff, which is a deeper purification. So the first set of signs from the Ascent of Mount Carmel, this is book two, by the way, chapter 13, uh, paragraphs two through four, says that we are in the active night of the spirit and we should begin to leave discursive meditation. The second set of signs we find in the Dark Night, Book One, Chapter Nine, and this indicates we are already in the passive night of the sense. And so, um, I like to point to uh, Father um, Foley, Father Mark Foley, in his book <clears throat> The Ascent to Joy. He's talking about what this difference is because Father Haggerty in the book that we're discussing, he puts all of these signs together and he calls them five signs because out of the two sets, out of the six, there's only one that's different from the previous set. And so he puts them all together and calls it five signs. Um, and so Father Foley points this out. One of the common explanations for the difference in these two sets of signs is that in the ascent, John describes a soul that has become accustomed to contemplation, whereas in the dark night, John describes a person in whom this simple awareness of God's presence is new. Now, I like to refer to one other Carmelite. This is Father Gabriel St. Mary Magdalene, also a, a Carmelite, um, who wrote a book, Union with God, according to St. John of the Cross. And in this one, um, he says, um, I'm, I'm just going to read the paragraph because it makes it clear. 
Um, here also, our saint will reassure the soul going over once more the three signs previous with which we have been able to distinguish the purifying aridity. So that's the thing, distinguishing the purifying aridity that introduces it to contemplation from the cult culpable or simply natural aridity, you know, when we sin and stuff. As it is now a question of recognizing contemplation as being no longer in its period of painful formation, but rather in the time in which it begins to be established in the soul, the saint will adapt his signs, especially the third, to this new phase of contemplation. And that's what we talk about in the dark night. So I know it may sound a little bit confusing. Um, so uh, it, it's basically saying that the two sets of signs that John introduces are in slightly different phases of the introduction of contemplation, the transition into that. So um, but for Father Haggerty, um, we're going to approach it the way he did uh, just so we can get a clear understanding of these signs. Okay. All right. And we won't rely uh, too heavily on the, the uh, source of the five. We're just going to go through the five because I think that's what is most beneficial is understanding these are the experiences. These are what you'll be going through and, and uh, uh, in some cases struggling with. And so look for these signs. Uh, you don't need to know the source of it. If you want to pursue the intellectual uh, understanding of it, certainly reference the texts, but uh, most especially at this point, we just want to give an understanding of these signs. And I want to re-emphasize, as I indicated I would, um, the necessity of engaging in uh, perhaps years of meditative prayer, using the imagination, putting ourselves into scripture, uh, spending uh, time reflecting on the application of what we um, meditate on to our own individual life. This is the necessary work, the tilling of the soil, if you will, that establishes the soul in a uh, condition where they may be ready uh, to move on into a, a deeper intimacy with the Lord, what we ultimately call contemplation. Uh, but Father Haggerty makes this point, leaping ahead is not an option. You know, we can't uh, sit here and read the book and say, oh, so to become a contemplative, I should sit in total silence. Well, you may not have the foundation. You may not have laid a firm foundation in your spiritual journey. And what would happen by consequence is when, for example, uh, you begin to uh, encounter things that are uh, inconsistent with your, uh, um, at that point, somewhat limited intellectual understanding of how God works, you'll simply be shaken by it because you'll have no context. You'll have no foundation. We need to understand who God is. We need to understand the economy of salvation as it's discussed. We need to understand our individual call to discipleship. We need to understand the role of the sacraments, of prayer, of suffering. All of this is made available to us through years of meditation, for most people anyway, it's years of meditation. And then these uh, elements that we're going to discuss begin to manifest themselves in our prayer life, and we will have a foundation to be able to uh, sustain us as we go through what is for many a very difficult transitional phase. And, and again, to reiterate, a lot of people, when they reach this phase of the journey, 
um, are shaken because they believe that they've somehow gone off course or they've done something wrong, that they've made a mistake. Um, these are perfectly appropriate uh, sort of experiences, but you need a grounding in the Lord to know um, that, that, in fact, this is part of the journey. And those prerequisite years of meditation uh, are, are necessary to to prepare you for this. So, so, so any soul that is has been practicing meditation for a length of time, um, and all of a sudden they start to have some troubles. It's not the same. They don't uh, get as much out of it, and all these other things that can happen. Um, this is something where we need to look at as long as it's not we're going back into sin you know we, we're trying to avoid sin of any kind right um but if we're starting to have trouble then we've got to be open to this possibility that god may be calling this soul to a deeper prayer and a deeper union and that would be through the infused contemplation now the first sign um, is the inability to do discursive meditation with any satisfaction. So you, you're not getting the consolation out of the meditation that you had before, or out of the discursive meditation. Yeah, and the word that most accurately describes this particular experience is aridity, dryness, um, a frustrating and futile effort to uh, sort of re-experience what you had been experiencing very beneficially and to your satisfaction early on in your meditation. And meditation should provide us a satisfaction. It should provide a sense of, uh, you know, connection with the Lord. We understand things now. We see things in a new light. Uh, we, we gain insight on the Blessed Mother, on the role of the saints, uh, various aspects of how we practice our devotions are revealed to us in meditation. But now, uh, in our hours of meditation, we're beginning to sense a dryness, a lethargy, uh, um, it, 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 as the word here is described, frustrating and futile are our efforts to try to re-experience that. This is a natural first experience uh, for many souls as an introduction uh, to the possibility that the Lord is calling them into a, a deeper form of prayer. God used the meditation phase to teach us about himself, to impart knowledge, as I said before, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And it's necessary that we go through that. And that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, by the way, is about both God and about ourselves and how we relate to him. And so all of this is, is part of the process of uh, preparing us for now this next phase. Well, then when the trouble starts and it's not because we are actually falling back and being lazy and all these other things. Um, it's because God begins to communicate himself through pure spirit by this act of simple contemplation in which there is no discursive succession of thought. And most people don't know that about prayer. In fact, I would say the majority of Catholics in particular just uh, think about prayer as, as vocal prayer or meditation, and they never understand that there's degrees of prayer beyond that. So I'm really glad we're covering this. This is yeah, very you important. Just, you described it perfectly, Francis. It is the movement from the exterior, 
our senses, the material surroundings that we use to understand the world around us, and our intellect, by the way, moving from that to a deeper, more silent, more interior form of communication. Again, we're describing this as though it happens overnight. This process can take a year, many years, the transition I'm talking about. This is post the preparatory uh, years of meditation, but even this transition can take quite some period of time. It has to do with a lot of factors, which we perhaps won't have time to go into in this conversation. But uh, needless to say, this can take a while. One, for us to come to an understanding of it. Uh, two, for us to adapt ourselves to it. Uh, and three, to begin to uh, feel comfortable in this new form of prayer. And inevitably, one of the uh, additional signs, a second sign, in fact, that Father Haggerty identifies, drawing from John's writings, is a disinclination to use the imagination. So aridity is followed by a disinclination, a lack of a desire to engage in the creation of imagery uh, and the use of the imagination. This is a second uh, critical step that we would look for. Uh, in fact, we would find it distracting and disturbing to the mind to now say, well, I wonder what the temperature was in the in the you know, the gospel reading I just uh, uh, took the time to read. Or or I wonder if there was dust blowing in the desert, or I wonder, you know, um, what, what clothes, whatever were our methods of meditation, uh, to varying degrees, people have a greater imaginative capability. Uh, but nonetheless, at this point, the use of the imagination uh, be, becomes an impediment. There's a disinclination to engage our imagination in this way. Right. And then I've got this sentence here. I think that Father Haggerty wrote it well about this disinclination. Um, when this inability to concentrate the imagination and sense faculties on the things of God proceeds from dissipation and tepidity, there is yearning to dwell on other things and an inclination to give up meditation. Can you comment on that for us? Make it more plain and simple yeah just what we were just saying it, it, we we have a dryness in the experience and then we have a lack of desire that's the point here a lack of desire to engage my mind it's like if you studied math at high levels i never did by the way my my math probably ended at calculus but um you know you, you study very complicated math there are times late in the night when you simply are disinclined to continue to run those numbers through your head well here it's a disinclination to continue to use our uh, imagination, our ability to create imagery within our minds to engage in prayer. I just don't want to do it. It feels, um, you know, sort of distracting and a bit overwhelming. Uh, and I, I have a hesitancy, a tepidity, as the, as the sentence read, uh, to wanting to engage in that way. I just, I still want to pray. I want to be here. I just don't want to be that active about it. I don't want to be using my sense anymore, my imagination in this regard, uh, to affect that. I, I, I want to be more resigned, reserved, and, and quiet before the Lord. Okay, so that leads us to the next sign. Um, let's see. So we have that sharp aridity of feelings in prayer and also outside of prayer. Um, and this is what St. John of the Cross says. Since these souls do not get satisfaction or consolation from the things of God, they do not get any from creatures either. Yeah, so, so this, 
This is where we begin to be affected uh, outside of our times of prayer. And I, I said we wouldn't be going back and forth, but it is important to point out, Francis, that the structure you laid out early in the conversation um, with regard to uh, active and passive and where they're drawn from, the dark night is largely about passive uh, purification, meaning what the Lord is doing and not what so much we are doing. This is being drawn from that. And we we are experiencing not only this aridity and a disinclination for using our imagination, but we're not getting any consolation in prayer anymore. We're not getting any of that satisfaction. It's like we went to the meal, but the meal all tasted very bland for those who may have suffered the absence of taste during COVID. You know what I mean? You know, you ate the meal, but the meal just didn't do anything for you. There was no um, uh, uh, appeal in, in consuming it. You simply consumed it and, and, and that was it. Uh, but the same is true now in what may have been the satisfaction I derive from my engagement with other people, uh, largely about topics of, of a religious nature, prayer, uh, reflecting on the saints. And so I begin to lose my interest in that. And this is very disturbing for many people. As we said earlier, uh, they begin to think they've gone off course, something's wrong. Uh, I, I, I must have made a wrong turn. All of this is normal. It's natural. And again, as I described, the Lord is moving from the exterior, our sense and our material means of discerning the world, to an interior. It's not there yet. It's in transition. And while it's in transition, we can feel very destabilized by that process. And part of that movement is that, you know, you're like, well, why is God drying up these consolations? Because we've got to detach from this sensory mode so that we can be opened up to the the pure spirit of God more and more. So he's gonna um he's not gonna allow the soul to find sweetness in this lower grade of prayer because he's drawing it to this higher grade of prayer. So uh that dark night is purifying uh deeper roots than previously. So that's very important. And yeah. a lot of people make the mistake of well, I just need to double down and try harder here, right? Um, rather than accepting that, okay, and this is this is possibly a sign I need to talk this over with my spiritual director or somebody who who understands um, prayer and and find out what's going on here, um, because it, it, without the knowledge, um, people linger and flip flop in this stage and make a lot of mistakes. So it's important yeah. to get some insight from others. And they can also come to mistakenly perceive this as depression. Oh, yes. You know, I'm not feeling what I was before. Well, I'm depressed. And one question you need to ask yourself at this point is, have the circumstances of my life changed and degraded, really, in such a way that there's a legitimate uh, identifiable cause for what I perceive to be depression? And if there isn't, you know, if you haven't all of a sudden experienced a, a, a turn in your health or financial circumstances or relationships, there may be some of that. But I'm saying uh, to the degree that it would warrant uh, a reaction that is is characterized as depression. If that's not present, then we have to begin uh, to believe and discern that this is part of the work that the Lord is doing uh, within our soul. And And building on your comment about the movement from the uh, sort of material to the to the spirit. I want to read this quote. Thus, while the spirit is tasting, 
the flesh tastes nothing at all and becomes weak in its work. But through this nourishment, the spirit grows stronger and more alert and becomes more salacious for uh, than before about not failing God. In the beginning, the soul does not experience this spiritual savor and delight, but dryness and distaste. The reason is the novelty involved in the exchange, just what Francis was describing, the movement towards the spirit. We are not akin to the spirit. This is the reality of the human experience, by the way. We are simply not as sensitive to the spirit as we are to the material and sense elements of our nature. We've learned to discern our reality by virtue of the sense inputs. And now we're moving away from that. So um, there's a period wherein we were not getting that same reaction in prayer and we feel somewhat destabilized and even up to and including perhaps uh, mild states of depression, which it is not. It is simply that we are moving away from those things that otherwise our senses would be uh, providing us input from. Well, that leads us to the next sign. And it is a painful self-questioning in a person due to the experience of losing satisfaction in the things of God. Yeah, this is a critical element and one that um, most people are, are not adequately akin to. It is necessary, Father Haggerty says, the soul thinks, to discover it and root out. The more ignorant the soul is of what is actually happening in this stage, um, the greater likelihood of suffering this sign with some intensity. The sign, as Francis d- described it, is... I have, you know, have to have done something wrong. I'm off course. Scrupulosity becomes a critical piece here. We'll begin to reflect on things about our past, for example, uh, that we've been well aware of for many years. And all of a sudden they're cast in this horrible light to our imagination. And, and we think that all might be lost. So this is a time of very um, uh, important discernment. Prayer. We'll tell you about that in a minute and how you should respond to this. But uh, the important point is this feeling uh, that somehow I have done something wrong. I'm at fault. God is displeased with me. Uh, Oh, look at what a terrible person I am. This, again, is all part of the purification. Again, my knowledge of myself is increasing at this point. It would and should lead to great humility, uh, but not to discouragement. But this is the effect of having... Uh, this transition is that we begin to think we've done something wrong. We are at fault. We will begin to um, scrutinize our past life in unproductive and unhealthy ways. Catherine of Siena said, never look at your sins that you don't also look at God's mercy. This is a time where we need to be looking at God's mercy and realizing that um, all of this is simply part of the purification process. It isn't meant to uh, send us back or send us into a tailspin. And I would say generally that this kind of aversion to um, what you used to be doing in prayer, all of a sudden now you're you don't find it um, consoling. You don't find it fruitful. So you don't even want to do it. And so that's where people think, OK, I'm I'm regressing rather than God is detaching you from your senses, from right. your sensory mode of prayer. So um, this is a common problem, and I would say that um, a lot of people make a mistake in this particular area. So I'm so glad that you've commented on that to help us. Yeah, Father Haggerty does offer this one caution, though. Um, 
and, and we have to evaluate ourselves in this regard. There is a difference between all of what we've described as this aridity, dryness, disinclination, scrupulosity, and lukewarmness. Now, if we have backed away from prayer, if we are not devoted to our uh, times of prayer and our our uh, requirements, we as Carmelites, of course, have daily requirements for this. If we have intentionally uh, begun to move away from those um, those requirements, that responsibility uh, that are called for in our rule, uh, that is lukewarmness, and that's different. We can't attribute uh, what we've just outlined. Uh, to a move to contemplation when we have been the agent of it. This is actually, again, a great sign. And one of the things that's most discouraging is when we say, well, what did I do wrong? The answer is nothing. You haven't done anything wrong. You're continuing to enter into the chapel or your room in, home, in your home, wherever it is that you do your prayer, you're doing your rosary, you're attending mass, you're, you're availing yourself of the sacraments, most suspect, especially of reconciliation. You're doing all of what you've been required to do, but now you're not getting any reaction out of it. That's different than lukewarmness. If all of a sudden your prayer life, life starts to drift, well, that's lukewarmness and you can't attribute this uh, manifestation of a call to contemplation to something that was um, generated by your own um, uh, disavowal of your of your uh, call to prayer. And John of the Cross does say, those suffering from the purgative dryness are ordinarily solicitous, concerned, and pained about not serving God. So they're they're pained about not being able to pray like they used to. They still go to prayer, but it's not like it doesn't seem fruitful because it's different and it's dry and it's arid. So, but they're concerned about it. Yeah. If there was no concern and they stopped praying, then that would be that lukewarmness. And I think this is why St. Teresa of Avila, throughout her works, she's always saying, never stop praying, keep praying. To stop praying is to go backwards. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we want to encourage. It's important you say that, um, you know, we think that in, in so many endeavors, we stop playing piano while we're just going to, you know, not play piano and play as well. If we stop running, we're not going to run. No, no, no. To stop here means you will be going backwards. That That's one of the challenges of the spiritual journey. There's no such thing as sort of, you know, treading water. You have to be moving forward. Well, let's move on to the fifth sign, Francis, um, which is, of course, the last in the ascent. And this fifth indicates uh, most especially that we are moving towards um, this um, desire for uh, contemplation and the early stages of it. And it is just that, a desire and an inclination to enter into contemplation, which is experienced really as a desire to just be silent in our prayer. We go into prayer, so we're there. At the appointed time, as we said we would be, we're, we're prepared, but we don't really want to do the big lifting. We don't want to engage the imagination. We know we're feeling a bit dry. We're concerned that we're, you know, pleasing to God, but we really just want to sit in his presence and be with him in a loving presence, no less. That is our, our desire. And many people, they're, they're, reaction, their uh, misunderstanding of this is, oh, I'm just sitting here. I'm not doing anything. I'm not being active. And in fact, they're doing perhaps the most significant thing that they could be doing in prayer 
in that moment when they are just sitting in loving, in loving silence before the Lord. That's the important point we, we need to stress. Yeah, with the attention focused on God and not on self and what you're experiencing, right? <laughs> the focus should be directed toward God, not toward self. And like you said, that general loving awareness, um, and that is very important. You might think of a person who typically goes to prayer, say they're going to do their 30 minutes of prayer in the chapel, and they've got their meditation book, and they bring it along, and they're just kind of, oh, I really don't want to do this, but I'm on chapter 29, and you know, there's 40 chapters, and I need to get through the book, but I really don't want to read it. And you start to read it, and you're like, no, I just want to sit here with God. I'm tired of thinking all this stuff. And you just want to put the book down. So put the book down and just gaze lovingly at the Lord, right? Yeah, exactly. It. And in fact, what, what's happening in that, this um, unwillingness, un, you know, a, a lack of a desire to use the imagination, means that God is beginning to communicate to our spirit things that we could never discern by simply reading a book or using our own imagination. Again, we, we've acknowledged this before so many times. The human capacity for discerning and understanding God is very limited. It has its place in early uh, years of meditation, but we're moving beyond that now. And the Lord wants to speak directly to our spirit. And when he does that, though we won't have the same satisfaction, the desire on our part is to allow that. It's to sit quietly before the Lord. And by the way, we should console ourselves with this fact. If our specified period of time to be in chapel, if that's how you pray each day, has been met, we're sitting there, we're actively there. We don't have any desire to run out of the room. We really want to be there, but we're not actively engaging our imagination. Guess what? The act of will has been fulfilled. We are in the Lord's presence and we are doing precisely what he's called us to do and we are demonstrating love in that act of our will. We may not get satisfaction. And in fact, that's a further affirmation that it is an act of love because we're not doing it to get anything. We're not demanding that we receive something back. And in fact, Father, Father Haggerty again says, ironically, the challenge here is to fight off the desire to say, oh, I got to get something going here. I got to, you know, I got to get some intellectual uh, understanding out of this time that I'm going to be in prayer. I got to get a feeling going here. I got to feel something emotionally. It's the desire to fight that off uh, that is actually more uh, indicative of the fact that it is an act of our will and demonstrative of our love for the Lord that we simply want to be with him and be in his presence. Right. You know, I have to backtrack and I'm looking at this quote from John of the Cross just to kind of summarize what we've been through right here. So the souls now, he says, they will no longer taste that sensible food, as we said, but rather will enjoy another food, more delicate, interior, and spiritual. Not by working with the imagination will they acquire this spiritual nourishment, but by pacifying the soul, by leaving it to its more spiritual quiet and repose. So, you may think you're idle and doing nothing, but if your focus is on the Lord in a loving attentiveness, then that's doing a lot. And a lot of people find that hard to do. <laughs> yeah, we're not good at being silent. We're not good at being uh, receptive. We're not good at being 
disposed in this way. And so it is challenging for many people. So the question inevitably, I hope, is rising in our listeners' minds, and that is, well, so what do I do? Well, this is where we practice a blind trust in God. None of the cross teaches throughout all of his writings. Faith is the proximate means to union with God. Faith, what does he mean? It is trusting in God no matter what the circumstances. You didn't do anything to get yourself off course. You're not feeling the satisfaction you were previously, but you're there in chapel wanting to encounter God. He's just encountering you or reaching out to you on a level you, you haven't sufficiently become attuned to the spiritual, but it's happening. And so blind trust in God, believing that he's there. And by the way, you will need this from this point on. You've needed it up to this point, but you'll need it in, in far greater measure as you continue this abandonment is the word that I most often use in this regard. Abandoning ourselves to God, trusting him, blind faith. John talks about blind faith. This is what we will need at this point if we're going to continue the journey. Father yeah. Haggerty continues this chapter, by the way, having laid out these five signs. He continues it by now talking about the disposition of the soul. How should we respond? Blind faith abandonment are two examples he gives, but he builds on that and gives others, Francis. Well, and we've got to remember it's that in the silence, um, because you've got to exercise that blind trust, that faith, um, but it's in that silence when you're not using your brain to think these thoughts, um, but it's in the silence itself that the mystery of God is is hidden. And I think that's a beautiful thing for us to ponder. In the silence itself, the mystery of God is hidden. And so that's when we got, when we've talked about this before, Mark, where we need to learn to go hide with God, right? Exactly. Hide within our own souls. So many of the Carmelite saints talk about this so eloquently, as does uh, a uh, former Archbishop Martinez of uh, uh, Mexico, uh, who uh whose book we did a few years ago, I recall now, um, serving a hidden God or something to that effect. Uh, but how do we respond to a God who is silent? Uh, and, and the way he describes it, using the works of, uh, of the Carmelites, of course, is that we must learn to hide within our soul because that's where we will find God. What does that mean? Dispensing with all of the distractions, entering in to ourselves. Recollection is a term that is used very often. Teresa, of course, of Avila uses that. Uh, but it's basically entering into ourselves. It's very difficult, in all fairness, to try and describe this with the limitations of, of human language. Um, it is something that must be uh, experienced, but it's almost like the turtle withdrawing itself into its shell. But we do so not just in a physical way, but in a spiritual way, and all the things that are otherwise um, sort of exposed to the world, we want to repose them and draw them within ourselves so that we can enter into a dark, hidden place where we can encounter God. Receptivity, in fact, is the key word here. The soul must receive the inclination of quiet is necessary and surrender is a prerequisite to being able to receive what now is being shared with the spirit, not with the senses. And so this idea of receptivity, making the soul, uh, disposing the soul to receptivity. 
And then we've got to fight off um, this anxious concern that we're failing, as Father Haggerty puts it, failing in diligence if it no longer pursues meditative prayer. Because you might start saying, oh, I feel guilty now that I didn't do my meditation. You know, because you're used to, you know, some people like use that as their checkbox. But, you know, if you're going to grow in prayer, um, this is not a checkbox check, check activity, right? Um, and so um, if somebody is so used to that certain way and now you're entering into this different way, they're going to become little voices that, well, maybe I should try to go back to that, you know. But no, this is that you said faith, trust, surrender, abandonment. These are all important things to help us to be receptive to receiving God through this gift of infused contemplation. So these are all kinds of experiences that and, and thoughts that a soul might go through as they go through this transition. And so I'm glad we're talking about them because a lot of people will experience them and then try to stay back with the routine. But if you if you understand what's going on, you're going to be more receptive, which you said was the key word. Yeah, a good analogy here, by the way, is the the Old Testament um, experience of the Israelites drawn into the desert, right? And what did they want? They wanted to go back to the flesh pots of uh, of Egypt. They understood where their meals were coming from, so to speak. And this is a very good uh, way of understanding. We we are drawn into the desert, into the aridity, and our imaginations are not as uh, stimulated as they were before. There's barrenness in the landscape and so forth. And so what do we do? We want to rush back to uh, the things that, uh, you know, fed our senses. But Father Haggerty gives what I think is some very um, pertinent advice here. He said, this is a time where you must learn to follow your heart. Look to your deeper desire. And this is where the intellect can come to our aid. What is your deepest desire? We all know at this stage, our deepest desire is union with God. We may not fully understand that term. We don't have a sufficient appreciation or experience that informs us of what uh, it is that we will encounter when, when union occurs. But we know in our heart that what we really desire is this encounter with the living God uh, this this um, marriage of wills, this unification uh, of our will with God. That's what we desire. That is the reason, by the way, for the human person, our existence is all rolled into that. Some use the word deification. That That is the, the entire uh, curriculum of the human experience, as John describes it. And we can turn to our heart and say, has that changed for me? Do I desire something else? Do I want my my reputation back? Am I more concerned about my material well-being? Is my health more important than this? Are relationships outside of prayer more important? If none of those things is true, follow your heart. Your heart is teaching you the way. It's showing you that this is, in fact, not only what you most desire, but that this is the pathway to it. And he goes on and elaborates on that with this very simple term, a loving knowledge of God. That's what you desire, a loving knowledge of God. We love because God first loved us, that scripture, 1 John. And in knowing that, what we want is that deeper encounter with God, not one that we have to intellectualize, not one that we have to justify, not one that we affirm with, with a series of, of statements about 
how God has blessed us through our life. But the deepest way of knowing that God loves us is in a deep interior way and manifests itself in something we couldn't articulate in language. It's beyond language. And so we want to avail ourselves of that. Follow your heart to a loving knowledge of God. And as you do that, then lo and behold, after some time, it's possible that now you start to discover an interior peace and quiet and repose that you did not have before. And that's that infusion of God's graces into the soul. And so I have to also say this. Where is this in the interior castle? In case you know the interior castle really well, this is happening in that fourth mansion or fourth dwelling place um, where St. Teresa of Avila is talking about that prayer of quiet or um, uh, she has another name. Oh, I'm not remembering it at the moment, but it's it's the prayer of quiet um, or the infused recollection. Um, that is the beginning stages of this, of, the, of what we're talking about. Yeah, and it's important to remember, too, it is at this stage that a decision must be made. The person involved in this transition must make a decision that, yes, I want to go forward. God is not going to force our hand. Yes, I'm willing to be without uh, the satisfaction I previously derived from prayer, that aridity that we talked about. I'm willing to abandon my imagination as too limited for for carrying me to this encounter. I'm willing to accept uh, that I will be scrutinizing myself, but absolving myself of, you know, any immediate wrongdoing as regards to this. I have to be willing to make a decision that says, yes, I want to go forward. I want uh, to accept that I'm going to enter into the chapel for my period of prayer and uh, may not come out with anything other than uh, the realization that I've sat before the Lord for 30 minutes. I, I wouldn't minimize the, the importance of the point Francis just raised, though, that this uh, quiet, this receptivity will begin to permeate beyond the time in prayer. You may carry it into your next activity for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Uh, if more than that, you're you're well blessed. But the reality is active prayer usually ends at the end of the period of time of prayer i've acquired my knowledge my experience i walk out the door and now i go back to the to the world with this process beginning to move to an interior that peace that that quiet that um sort of um a solitude even will will stay with you and it won't be felt in the way that you previously experienced the benefits of prayer but it'll be felt in a much more deep an interior way, the graces of contemplation uh, will even begin to manifest themselves in the early stages of this. Now, there are some souls that don't struggle with all of these temptations to go back or to analyze or be scrupulous or, or any of that. There's some souls that seem to enter into these beginning stages of contemplation without even realizing that they're doing so. And I love the example that Father Haggerty put. He says it's it's like the soul uh, smells the fragrance of newly baked bread, and and if you're hungry, you want to move in the direction of that bread. You're not you're not thinking about oh I'm walking, I'm getting closer, but you're smelling it, and you're just following the scent, right? So a soul that begins these initial stages of contemplation without all this other stuff. They seem to be just following 
you know, this, uh, this sense of being drawn into it and they just kind of flow, go with the flow, uh, where God is leading them. So some people don't struggle, which is a special grace, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, being drawn towards that savor, uh, that, that thing that attracts us. Let's, let's be clear about what that is. It is always love that leads to this grace of contemplation. This is not, um, you know, the consequence of our intellectual acquisitions. It's not the, uh, you know, the outgrowth of uh, the hours that we spent in prayer or even the practice of virtue as uh, necessary as all those are. It is love that leads to contemplation. So what was all that discursive meditation really fundamentally about? Why do we do these years and hours upon hours of, of discursive meditation, the use of our mind? It is to reveal to us the reality of God's love for us. That's really what it is. The answer to every significant question in our life, if we were to ask God, why, 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 and we so often do, God's answer is quite simple, because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. And we would grow frustrated, of course, with that response when we struggle through so many of the things that we do in life. But the simple reality is that is the answer. God is found in every single circumstance that happens in our life, good, bad, or indifferent. He doesn't measure it that way. We do, but he doesn't. Everything that happens to us is a manifestation of God's love. And that would be the only answer he would ever offer if we said why. He would say, because I love you. Discursive meditation is intended to lead us to that realization through a whole series of experiences that we discern and we, we use scripture to help enlighten us. But at the end of the day, the answer is the same. God says, I love you. And knowing that and coming to that realization then leads us to a desire not only to encounter that love, but to manifest it back to the one who has imparted it to us, who has shared it with us. And that's what leads to contemplation. And yes, there is still a great deal of purification that needs to happen. We haven't gotten close to the levels of purification uh, that we will read about in later chapters of this work and talk about on this forum. Um, having to do with our intellect, memory, and will. But the necessary prerequisite was the meditation, the years of meditation, that revealed God's love to us and led us to a deeper desire to encounter that love in ways we haven't before, and then to return that love and remove any impediments to that process. That's what contemplation is about. Well, Mark, I know um, I just want to take a, a slight diversion here and just. Can you tell us why this is called a dark night as we get to the deeper phases of infused contemplation? Yeah, D John talks about that at length about uh, why uh, this is called dark. And it's dark because our intellect now is going to be, um, I, I want to be careful about my choice of words here. It's going to be purified and perfected but it is going to be destabilized by virtue of the fact that it will no longer be able to reconcile and resolve in, in some satisfactory way what's happening to it. Our uh, memory, that is, we've discussed this previously, our memory is the complement of all that's happened to us, not just images that, that avail themselves at times that we, we use our memory, but our entire human experience rolled into one. And that uh, will, will at times no longer make sense to us and then charity, of course, the perfection of our of our will through charity is challenged in this regard because 
where we have had a less than perfect love, God is now calling us into the perfection of love, and it's something we're not familiar with. All that darkens us. It darkens our intellect. It darkens our memory. It darkens our will. And so John refers to it as a dark night. There are a couple of reasons for this, and I don't want to get too lengthy because I see we're we're close to the end of our of our time. Uh, but there are two major benefits to this. One, God can do this work within us in a deep interior way. He doesn't need our help anymore. He doesn't need us to be doing discursive meditation. So he darkens um, those capacities within us, intellect, memory, and will, in order that work might be done. The other benefit is it also darkens it to the enemy because the enemy would love nothing more than to get involved in this process and manipulate our intellect, uh, exercise our memory, and and uh, distract our will from, from perfect charity. And by masking us almost in the work that's being done, uh, the enemy is confused and can't get involved. And so all of this is darkness uh, to the human spirit, to our intellect, memory, and will, so that God can affect that outcome. And tell me if I'm right here or if I'm I'm out out of kilter. <laughs> um, the darkness also, also I, I think of it that God's light is so bright that it is shining um, and it and it is so bright it's blinding. And yeah. so we have that sense of darkness because now we, we can't see because the brightness like, you know, when somebody puts their headlights on bright. And you're going right toward them. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm seeing their brights on and I can't see where they are because the lights are so bright. So God's spirit is so bright, so pure. It overwhelms our faculties, right? Exactly right. Yeah. And and uh, the analogy I like to use here is so if we had our, in, in modern medical terms, we had our eyes dilated and then we went out on a bright sunny day or worse yet on a bright wintry sunny day you know the effect of snow and the, and the sun off the snow what do we do we wince we we squint we withdraw uh because the light is overwhelming well the light's no less bright or warm the sun is still shedding itself over us but we can't perceive our surroundings because it's so bright uh, that it, it precludes our ability to grasp what's going on around us. And that is a similar to an analogy that John uses. But uh, yes, that's exactly right. God's light is so bright to the soul. That's where this is happening to the soul that the soul is darkened by it. Its, it's eyes are almost uh, materially closed uh, because of the brightness of the light. But nonetheless, the light is having its effect. And I know it's really difficult for some souls to accept that, you know, a prayer that is less active um, is actually an advancement in prayer. But I, I have to point out this analogy of John of the Cross. He says it's it's like um, when you have a like an orange and you. You peel the orange. That's the discursive meditation. And now you got to the fruit. But now, because you're rejecting the fruit, you want to go back and peel it again. And I'm like, no, you've already done that. You've already done this discursiveness. You've learned a lot. You've got enough knowledge now. You need to now get to know God, you know, person to person rather than just about God. Uh, so that sense of it's time to eat the fruit, not just to, to peel the rind. Right. Yeah, good. That's a good analogy. Well, well, I see. Cross came up with it. I just paraphrased it. <laughs> <laughs> I I see that we are uh, closing in on uh, 
our time here, Francis. So again, thank you for uh, this conversation. It uh, continues to be a pleasure. I think Father Haggerty's done a wonderful work here in um, in opening up John for, for so many. And so I appreciate uh, the opportunity to have the conversation with you again today. Well, thank you, Mark. It's such a joy to be able to talk with you about it. I like the clarity you bring to this conversation um, with our, all of your background and your studies. Uh, it certainly helps many souls that are listening to this. So thank you very much for helping us to understand this wisdom and teaching of St. John of the Cross. Um, would you close us out with a prayer, please? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this spiritual conversation, for the opportunity to explore the depths of the prayer of contemplation and to help better understand how to dispose ourselves to receive what it is that you have to impart to us, which is nothing but love. It is our destiny, it is our end, Lord, to be in your eternal embrace. And so we ask the grace to remove any obstacles, any impediments, and to avail ourselves, even if somewhat destabilizing, to the work that you desire to do within us. We again ask the intercession of our guardian angels, of our patron saints, most especially John of the Cross and of the Blessed Mother, as we leave this conversation, that we might take the time to expose ourselves to the work that you will do within us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Well, our next podcast in this series uh, will continue uh, discussing um, about what souls should do as they're entering into this initial period of infused contemplation, Um, because it's a big challenge on how to handle uh, this transition and darkness for some people. So um, we hope to uh, share what Father Haggerty uh, points out through the teachings of St. John of the Cross. So until we meet again, God bless. Bye now.